What is going on, everybody? I am Greg Hellback, and my co-host, Michael Pinter, and I are bringing you another episode of the New York Real Estate Investing Show. This show is all about how to be successful in New York State, one of the best places and one of the most difficult places to do business in. And each and every week, Michael and I are going to bring awesome content to everybody who wants to learn how to do this business successfully in New York. Between the both of us, we have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of deals. We've made millions of dollars and we've also made a ton of mistakes. So if you want to try your best to avoid those mistakes, definitely take a listen to this podcast. Every single week, we are going to provide actionable tactical steps on how you can be successful investing in the Empire State of New York. Stay tuned and welcome to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the New York show. Greg Hellbeck here with Michael Pinter. And today we're going to talk about creative financing in New York. And uh, we're going to talk about that it is possible. It's very challenging. We're going to give you the reality of it. So when you're done with the show, you can really have a good understanding on, on, on what, what it will look like uh, if you want to do it. And uh, we're going to talk about some stuff that, that people generally don't talk about because uh, a big theme that I was actually listening, Michael, to a few of our recordings we've done, uh, like when they've been published. Number one, they're pretty good. Uh, I got to say, I got to say so myself. They are pretty good. Uh, <laughs> I'm learning a lot, even though I'm doing the teaching. But, uh, you know, a lot of people, the one of the biggest obstacles, if we had to pinpoint something, is new investors get their information from people who are not in our market. And, and that causes a lot of uh, just, just it's really confusion because they think it works one way, but in reality, when they get kicked in the face, they, they get disappointed, they get frustrated, they build these bad beliefs, and then all of a sudden they don't think it works in our market. Hopefully by listening to, to the episodes we've been putting out, we can really install some insight uh, into the, um, into the, the listeners. So I, before we get into the actual specifics, I want you to share the foreclosure process in New York and then the eviction process. So then we're going to, we're going to start with that. And then we'll start to explain how you can do creative financing if you want to be crazy. <laughs> sure. So I'll talk about the foreclosure and eviction process. And then really we should, we should, I, I believe the, the creative financing really is four four different methods. We'll talk about that after. So the foreclosure process in New York, and people almost don't believe this when I tell them about it from other states, can take, uncontested, can take seven or eight years. And contested can take more than 12 years. So if you go to a foreclosure auction in my county, in Nassau or Suffolk, they'll show you the date that the judgment for foreclosure went into effect. And very often it can be 10 years old. And the, the foreclosure starts even before that, when the list pendants goes into effect. So it takes a very long time. You know, people don't believe it. But the whole process in New York is just designed to help the tenant or the homeowner just be there and just it gets dragged out forever. And the eviction process is similar, but much quicker, thank God. So in the five bars in New York City, it can take 12 to 24 months. Um, in my area, so the suburbs and uh, your areas, I think it's quicker. It's like three to four months, which is a lot longer than other places, but it's not inconceivable. Um, so I evict a lot of people. I have a lot of evictions going on right now. Um, ever since the moratorium ended, things are moving at a pretty decent pace, a little slower than usual, but not terrible. Um, but it takes a long time. So now let me let me talk about the four. And you you correct me if you think of anything I haven't thought of. This I think there's four uh, tools that people use for creative financing, and then we're talking about how they're affected by what we just said. So I think there's subject two, which is buying a property and leaving the mortgage in place buying it subject to the existing mortgage there is uh lease options which is 
probably the one that is probably the most easily doable in New York. We'll talk about why. And that means somebody owns a property. You're going to lease it from him with an option to buy. And then you can then do that on the back end and lease it to a, uh, what do they call it? A, um, a tenant buyer. Yeah. Like a sandwich lease option. Right. So there's lease options. There is, um, owner financing on the sell. So that means you buy a property and then you owner finance it to someone who is buying it and is going to pay you over time. And then there's owner financing on the buy, which means the, the seller is the bank to you and you are going to pay him over time in terms. Did I miss anything? I think those are the four basic tools in the tool belt of creative. Yeah. You hit it on the head. And then, so it's, it's very, so the reason why we started with foreclosure and evictions is because a lot of those tools in, in certain states like Texas and other state, other states where, where the foreclosure and eviction process is short, some of those tools are much uh, less risky to do. For example, owner financing where you're the bank, right? So you own a property and then you're going to own a property. So we, I, there's a member of investor fuel that did like 600 of them in Texas. And it makes perfect sense in Texas. Cause in Texas, if a guy doesn't pay his mortgage, I think 46 days later, you take back the property. So if I'm yeah. the bank and a guy doesn't pay, it's not a big risk for me. The sheriff's going to come with a gun and kick that guy out in a, in a month and a half. But in a place like New York, where it could take 10 years, you're taking on a big risk and there are ways to protect yourself, but the way the foreclosure and eviction process work really affects a lot of, and the way the closing process works where attorneys are involved really affects a lot of those four creative finance tools in New York and, in, and anywhere really. Yeah. So that's, that's the biggest thing. Let's, let's take them one at a time. Cause we, I like how we set the stage with. So, so the first thing I comment on your, on the, the, the foreclosure process, this is something that I did not know about um, because, <laughs> and I'll tell everyone why the, it, so in New York, with, especially with foreclosures, New York is a judicial state. So there's there's either a judicial state, which is when there's a mortgage, which is the, the collateral instrument. And then there's the other state, which believe it or not, California is a deed of trust state. So the difference is that when you're in a judicial state with a mortgage to get foreclosed upon, you ultimately have to get into a lawsuit and go in front of a judge. And the judges in New York are very, very, very consumer friendly. When you're in Texas or you're even in California, the foreclosure process is not as bad as I thought, depending on where you are. But there's there's no judge that is involved. It's simply a deed of trust. And you can go to the courthouse and you can get the property back. And that's basically it. So when you get involved in New York, like if, if someone is like, you know, let's say they're one of their niches is foreclosure investing or, or pre-foreclosure investing. Some people think, Oh yeah, I'm gonna, you know, someone's gonna get a list pendants and I'm gonna send them a mailer and they're gonna be out of their house in 30 days. Like and they're gonna and they're gonna be and they're gonna be terrified that they're about to lose the house. Now I know people that got deals off list pendants deal uh, lists also. Yeah. Some people don't know and they say, Yeah, I don't want to go into foreclosure, I don't want to screw my credit, I don't want to lose the house, which they don't understand how long it takes. But um, I don't want to interrupt you, but 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 we can talk in a second about what I've discovered about list pendants in New York and how they're contacted and who they're contacted by. You want to deal with that? Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's good. So I bought a lot of houses, even in the early days where I bought at foreclosure auctions, where there was a mail slot and I had like three years worth of, of mail there. And I decided sometimes I can just take a look and see what is a guy who gets a list pendants in, in, uh, in New York City? Or sometimes I, I had 10 years of mail. 
And what I've discovered, my rough uh, uh, estimation, is that 70% of the mail was from or attorneys who are telling attorneys and 30% was from investors, right? Because they showed up on this list pendants list, which list pendants just to tell you is a formal filing in a judicial state that they're going to start the foreclosure process. Basically it's, it's yeah. something on title that prevents, prevents them from selling the property without dealing with the list pendants. And what I found really maybe more, maybe 80%, they were four times more likely to, to be contacted by and probably contact, reach out to an attorney. And if you reach out to any of those, attorneys, all those attorneys are looking to do is to represent you in the foreclosure. And the first thing an attorney is going to tell you is you got plenty of time. Don't worry about it. This is not an urgent. Like if you don't even call me, you're going to be in the house for a long time. And if you do call me, I can, I can, I can drag it out for five, six, eight more years. So, so think about that. So somebody in New York is getting contacted much more likely by an attorney than they are by an investor. And the investor is going to say, Oh, I'll, I'll buy, I'll buy your property. But if they speak to an attorney and they're much more likely to, they're very likely to speak to an attorney who knows what they're talking about. The first thing the attorneys can tell them is you, you got plenty of time, man. That investor that's telling you wants to buy it at a deep discount. You don't need, you could stay there rent free, mortgage free for, for, for a decade. So that's a, that's a big, big deal in, in New York from what I think is happening. So, so I know a lot of people that, that are pushing a list pendants list and they don't understand how it works. And they're comparing it to what their gurus are telling them in other states and what they're being told. And what they think is that if I'm going to call somebody who's got a list pendants, that guy is going to respond right away and be, have this sense of urgency. And in truth is a lot of people in New York don't have that sense of urgency because they've spoken to an attorney who's, who's told them that. Also, what I feel like is that, that because public information is so hard to come by in New York, but that is an easy thing to do. So anybody can get a pre-foreclosure list, which are listed. Oh, yeah. So from what I see, that's a list that's really inundated, right? People's going to, he's, they're going to get contacted from a million attorneys, from a million investors. So there's much more competition. And if they speak to an attorney, they're not going to have the same urgency that people just assume they're going to have. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's where I actually uh, was talking to um, Jeremiah one time. And he said that uh, he used to be an attorney. He said he somebody that he, he knew about, or I don't think he knew the person, but he said they were in their house for like 12 years before they got foreclosed. 12 years. By the way, because of the moratorium that we just went through, you're going to see those numbers even expand. You're going to see people there for 15, 16 years. Without paying them more. That's in Without paying more. Oh. You see people who went into foreclosure in like 2008, who still at the property has not, is still in the system. It's insane. And the thing is these attorneys, I actually listened to a podcast one time where someone interviewed an attorney who represented tenant or represented owners who were in foreclosure. And it's, it's simply just, if you know the system and you're an attorney representing the seller, you can just stall it and stall it. And if the lender doesn't perfectly do everything to the letter, you're, you're basically powerless. And you could, if start, the, you could start the whole process again, like, again. like that's what they do. Like they'll, they'll see a document that was filed wrong. Like something, some stupid word was wrong yeah and they'll adjourn and adjourn and adjourn and then when the uh, when the lender is like about to get a sale date then they'll whip out oh you guys screwed up and the whole thing will start from the beginning and yep. we're talking about years 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 more yeah it's or bankruptcy that jacks the whole thing up that the whole yeah, there's delay so another, many loopholes they'll delay another year yeah yeah so let's get into so the subject to transaction now so now that we've set the stage now with where where the reality is in my opinion a subject to in new york 
is probably five to 10 times harder to convince a seller to do for the reasons we just, we, we just, uh, well, there's so a few I, reasons. Go ahead. Yeah. You. So I think it's much more than five or 10%. I think it's like a thousand times harder. Now, I don't like to say anything's impossible, but there are two incredibly difficult hurdles in New York dealing with a subject two. So again, subject two means I find a guy who, let's say, is getting behind on his mortgage and I say, I'll take this off your hands and keep the mortgage here. It works in 49 states. In New York, you have two incredibly hurdles to overcome. Number one is title companies. So in New York, the title companies do not run the transaction. They don't disperse the funds. What they do, their service provider that do, does two things. They make sure the taxes are paid and they make sure the liens are paid off. So if you go to a standard title company and say, hey, we're going to keep the first lien mortgage on in here, you're going to get a look like you're from outer space. Now, I, I just actually bought a property where I, I, they don't mind keeping certain liens on subject to certain liens. So I bought a property recently where it was a crazy situation. The, the, the lender agreed to a short payoff. They said, just pay us this and we don't care what you do with it. It wasn't a short sale. They didn't care if it, it changes. So I quickly paid off the mortgage and bought the property. And there were other liens on there that I paid off. So the title company is like, if everybody agrees and you want to just, there was like a lien from the, the owner. It was deceased. I was buying it from the heirs. And um, there were some other liens that I just was going to deal with later. Uh, a lien from a, from a, from a uh, nursing home, a tax lien, all those things, parking, stupid liens. So the lenders are okay with that. But a first lien mortgage, they were like, just understand you have to pay that off. And I'm like, yeah, I'm paying that off. So you have that first hurdle. Title companies here don't understand it and think you're doing something wrong because you're going to leave a first lien on it. The second hurdle, this is the big one, is that lenders I and mean, sellers are represented by attorneys. Yes. I personally think if there's an, any attorney out there who would agree to allow his client to sell a house and keep the mortgage in his name which and keep it on his credit to somebody else who says they're going to pay it, and, and most people will, and then that guy doesn't pay it and screws up his credit, he might be subject to a, to a, to a malpractice lawsuit, right? Because <laughs> yeah. he might be. So. Yeah. So, so those two things aren't impossible to overcome, but they're very, very difficult to overcome. So could you do a deal where the guy's not represented an attorney? Yes, but it's hard. Could you do a deal where the title company sort of agrees to allow it? You can. But to find both those things going on, it's very hard. And the, and the, only, the only situations I've seen where a deal closed like that was usually a case that ended up like in the papers later or, or, or had a lawsuit later where like some... Because there are some shady guys in like in the city who will do something like that and the title company's in on it and the attorney's in on it and then later they lease it back to the guy and then they take it and then there's a case going on in Brooklyn now where that happened and there's like a the community protest of 400 people outside the house because they finally evict, they finally foreclosed on them. They did something that we did subject to and they leased it back to them but they felt it was exorbitant and like the whole community came out in, in, in saying it's still these people's house and you can't evict them and they didn't, they didn't evict them after they had been through it. And the guys that were doing it were some shady, probably some shady jerkies. So um, it's it's very unlikely. I won't say anything's impossible because it's possible, but you have to overcome those two hurdles. It's very hard in New York to overcome those two things. Yeah, that's, and that is where I've ran into the problem. Do it trying to, because I, I remember when I got started now, I'm a little bit more, you know, aware of the reality. And this is in New York, other states, you could do it a lot easier. Um, but in other states, you have no, the seller's not represented by attorney and title companies perfectly open to it the title company doesn't give a shit because they're it's the same thing they're just like wait we'll leave the mortgage in place and fucking transfer the deed both, both parties agree who gives a crap it's we're, we're uh, because it's so funny in other states title company is they are 
basically saying, if everybody agrees, what the hell do we care about what they're But in New York, if you start talking about leaving a first lien mortgage in place, they're like, that doesn't make sense to us. How can that happen? There's a due on sale clause. So there's a whole thing with, you know, and Pace Morby's a good guy and his sub two crew is great. So they have a whole thing about how to avoid the due on sale clause. Well, let's just explain what that is. When you take a mortgage, and this is a, this is universal in the country. It says if you're gonna if you're gonna sell the property, you gotta sell, pay off pay the off. mortgage. Yeah. So Pace and all these guys say, well, we avoid. How do we avoid that? And when you get into the answers, and I'll talk about what the answers are, those answers are not about how to avoid it. Technically, it's still due on sale. They avoid it by not telling, by not letting the lender know that it was sold. Right. So they say, oh, you don't change the you don't change the insurance. All these little things. But they're not really saying how to legally circumvent the due on sale clause. They're saying, how do we not tell the lenders if we're making the mortgage payments, the lender shouldn't care, which is true. That but, is true. But legally, listen, legally, when you sell a property, you got to pay off the mortgage. There are ways to circumvent it in the United States. But in New York, the title company is not is not is not playing ball with you. In other states, they will. Yeah, and and the thing with that is like. If you get the, I actually had something in another state recently where we killed the deal. It was going to be a sub two, but the, the, this person I spoke to, well, the, the title in, this was in Delaware, but basically the attorney just conducts a transaction. They don't give two shits what's going on. He said right. that he doesn't mind doing it, but he's like, listen, you're running a risk where if, if the, so let's, this person wasn't paying for a while. Let's say the seller's not paying, and this let's just make this applicable. If the seller's not paying a note forever, and the, the 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 lender starts to obviously see this, they have all these departments, and then out of nowhere, the mortgage this obviously the seller probably doesn't have money if they're not paying the mortgage. This payoff, this 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 arrears, they catch up. Twenty grand gets issued to reinstate the loan, and all of a sudden, you know, this this loan is getting paid magically. It's going to trigger some sort of a like an investigation where they're like, okay, well, what's going on here? And if, if the due on sale happens, you, you're you're in hot water because you gotta you gotta freaking scramble and you either gotta refi that, sell that, and it, so it can just cause drama. I don't know if I agree with that attorney because I think most of these lenders are thrilled when somebody becomes current, and I and I and I honestly believe that they'll never know if you. So listen, the whole subject two things usually is you're gonna make the guy current, right? You're gonna help yeah. him by making current, yeah. and then you're gonna find some creative way to either pay off the loan or to increase the or to get some cash flow situation where you're gonna be able to keep making the payments. I don't think most lenders are going to give a crap, even if it's in foreclosure. I don't think they care. You go, you get make a current, you're you're fine. The but but understand that you're 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 circumventing this this clause in your mortgage. And I, I don't think anybody's going to jail over it. To be honest with you, no. I think I think pretty much every single lender is fine. But if you're in foreclosure, the thing is that in that foreclosure process, whatever state you're in, they could so the, and that's the only time. They're gonna. They might run title, right? Because they might just want to see what's going on here. Like, is the person still alive? You know, what's going on? So, if they're in your foreclosure process, it could get complicated because there is that small chance that they're gonna run a title report and see that there was a deed transfer, and then you then you might get screwed. But most of the time, like ninety nine point nine percent of the time, that lender is gonna be very happy to be made current. They just want to make sure you're paying. They're just gonna move on. Yeah. Like they don't have time. They don't have a. They don't really have like an investigation team in 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 place. Like in New York, there's a whole there's an attorney running title looking at things. But in other states, it's like let's just you know we're current, giddy up, and we're all happy. We just we took a not we took a non-performing asset and turned it into performing. And turned it into performing. So there's another way you can get around the do uh, the do uh, there's there's actually something I learned this from Pace on a video. You can actually buy due on sale clause insurance. Have you heard about that? 
Yeah, I heard him talk about it. I, 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 I didn't really know how it works. So basically, it's you, it's like I think it's a percentage of the sale price, whatever that's still on the. So you pay a premium, and then there's companies that will. They're, they're, they're smart. It's like an actuary with insurance. They figure, okay, if this thing gets called, they'll either, you know, pay it off or they'll refi you into something else, so it can help you, obviously, not get into. But the, it's pretty rare you're going to get due on sale. Like it's very rare. Right. It's probably it's probably a very good insurance product, but um. But again, all of Pace, and I and Pace is a great guy, and I love and his program works in forty nine states. But, but um, all of his ways to avoid due on sale clauses don't avoid due on sale clauses, right? They yeah. don't prevent it, right? They don't. There's no like magic thing saying the due on sale clause is, is invalid, and therefore what I'm doing is fine. All they do is avoid you getting into trouble, avoid you getting caught. But the due on sale clause, that's what yeah. that's that's what they do. But again, I think I think it's a great I think it's a great product that helps a lot of people and is something that that you should seriously consider in 49 states 100 100 so that i think we covered everything you need to know about sub twos in new york so well, i'll summarize it and then we'll go to owner financing which is even more interesting number one you can do it technically it could work but it's very very unlikely mainly because of the attorney that's the because when i've tried to do it in new york we had the offer accepted everyone was smiling and then the attorney's like, wait a minute, you want my client to keep his mortgage in place? And like every, it was the same, it was like Groundhog's Day. They're like, no, we're not doing that. Pay the loan off. You think about, think about this. If I'm an attorney, right, in general, right, I never ask attorneys business questions because they usually are always going to say no because they, they're looking to, to, to put as little liability when they give you advice as possible. Think about an attorney telling his client, yeah, it's no problem. Who cares? I'm sure we can trust this guy that, that sent you a postcard now. And then, and then, and I'm sure there are, there are, and then three months later, the guy stops making the mortgage payments, right? Let's say the guy who did the sub two can't find the tenant. And he's like, I'm not keep pay, paying the mortgage on this. You don't think that attorney is going to be subject to a malpractice lawsuit? You recommended your client to do something that's not typical in their area that puts him at, at risk? Like, yeah. be, like, if I was an attorney, if I was an attorney and I know how subject two works, if somebody asked me about it, I would tell them, don't do it. Yeah, right? 100%. As your attorney, I advise you not to do it. You're 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 taking on risk for for you know for very little gain. Yeah, right? so no, hundred percent, right, hundred percent, man. That's so true. So so owner financing. This is something that I definitely know a lot more about. Uh, I've done owner financing deals, so like I know how it works. Now I've done them where I bought properties and the seller financed me. So New York, this is the number one challenge. And there's ways you can do it. Like I'm going to get it. We're going to get into how you can actually do this and make money because you can do it. If your owner, I'll start with this. If you're the seller and your owner financing a property to a consumer, you're shit out of luck. And I'll tell you why. The reason is we started the show today with the fact that the, the, the foreclosure process is such a pain in the ass for consumers, not investors. Big difference there. If you run such a high risk, of if let's say you get a big down payment from the buyer uh, and, and obviously they're they're going to sell or finance to you because they probably can't get a mortgage from somebody else. Let's just be honest about that. And you're going to charge them more interest, which is reality. If they can't get a mortgage from somebody else and they have to go to you to do a seller finance deal. And even if they put 20, 30, 40 grand down, not, well, I'm not saying they're definitely not going to pay, but if they don't pay, they are in a situation where now you as the even though you technically are the bank, you're not. You don't run a bank. You're an investor, probably with a small business. But you're the bank. You're the bank on that deal. You're the bank on that deal. Not only is that lawsuit going to be expensive, 
you're probably going to be, you're going to be screwed for about, I don't know, five to 10 years if you're lucky. And it's, it's not a, a way where you have a lot of security or, or, or leverage when you're trying to, to defend your property. I spoke to Mitch Steven in, uh, at a, on a, at a mastermind one time. And I asked him and I was honest with him. I said, cause he's the seller financing King. I said, listen, um, do you have people do this in New York? And he like, laughed. he literally laughed at me. He was literally laughing and he's like, <laughs> no, we only do it in the flyover States. And I'm like, what are the flyover States? He's like, you know, when you go from New York to California, all the states you fly over, that's where we do seller financing. About, and he was about, dead 40, about 40 of them, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that yeah, is, so, what are your comments on that? That's a big deal that no one talks I, about. When I heard about owner financing, like, I think it's the greatest thing ever, right? This guy, Lick, I forgot Nick, what Nick's last name is, but investor. Oh, was. Nick, Lam, Lick, yeah, I know you're talking Ramagar, about. It. Yeah. So yeah. it's the greatest thing, right? You're helping people who can't get a house without you. You are making great cash flow. You're, it, it's like, I would love to do it. I would love to do it. And you could sell the note. Like it's the greatest, I think it's the greatest product ever. And and you're always going to have people who can't get a loan because of either income or credit issues. I think it's great, but you cannot be the bank in New York. No, you, you just can't. So, so does it happen and can it work? And can that guy make his payments or you would get an exit? Of course it can, but you are taking what I consider to be an unacceptable risk being the bank in New York. It's just, it's unacceptable because of the length of time on your foreclosure on the foreclosure process. And if that is your worst case scenario, right? So in the case in a, in a state like Texas, your worst case scenario is you're going to take the property back in a month and a half. That is an acceptable, that's a very acceptable risk situation. Like that makes sense. But if you're going to take the property back in a decade and a half, it's going to be 15 years. That is not an acceptable risk situation. You can't be the bank. You can't be the bank in New York. You just can't. You can't be the bank. And here, <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And, and that, think about this. Let's say the seller stops making your mortgage payment, you subject to him, or you do an owner finance in New York. Not only do you have to defend yourself in a lawsuit and they're probably going to get an attorney and it's probably going to be free for them because they're going to drag it along. You have to pay the taxes. You got to make sure they're paying the insurance. You got to make sure, and you're probably going to be paying this because once they stop paying your mortgage, why the hell would they pay the taxes? Who gives a shit? They're going to lose it. They're going to lose it. Um, so that is a big, big, big problem. And then the right. other thing, think about, think about this: after t- if it takes ten years, think about all that accrued crap that you got to pay. Legal fees are going to be five figures for sure. You're going to have all this other stuff to pay. The whole deal might not make sense by the time you get the property back. And the taxes are usually a thousand bucks a month in our area. Right. So you're Very typical. Paying a hundred grand in taxes. You can pay 150, 150 grand in taxes to ha- if the house is worth three hundred thousand dollars. You just pissed away that money where you weren't making any money. It's in it, the time frames in New York make being the bank to me an absolutely unacceptable amount of risk to take. A hundred percent. So here's the one scenario where you can actually do this and you you can't get fucked that bad. If you're loaning to an LLC and it's an investor loan, let's say that and you can I've I've done this. Someone's done this to me and like it it totally makes sense. If you're loaning, because uh, essentially what a seller finance is, is you're essentially loaning money to the other party and you're taking your payments over time. That's the bottom. That's, that's literally what it is. So in New York, if you're loaning to an LLC and the, 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 the person who borrows the money is not a consumer and it's an LLC and there's specific language in the, in the mortgage and, and in the, the note promise to pay, you can foreclose a lot faster. It's still not going to take a long time. It's still going to be long, but 
it's not as bad as the consumer. So sometimes if you're doing a short-term deal where maybe the person's flipping it or they're intending to use it for business purposes, you're not going to be in as much hot water, but you're, I still don't recommend it. I still so don't recommend it. That's a, a method that well, you can challenge in court. Like the, 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 the consumer can say, I didn't want to open it. I'll say this guy made me. And then you'll, that could get screwed. And also there are things you can do, something called a confessional judgment, which will. What's that? Short. Interesting. It's where you, you, you make the, the, the buyer, you make the, the, the buyer, the person you're lending to sign a confessional judgment, which will shorten the process of the foreclosure. And also you can make them sign a deed that's held in escrow where they give you the property back. But all those things will shorten the process, but it will still take years for you to actually take possession of the property. Years, years. And I, I, I still maintain that. And even if you think the guy is the greatest guy ever, if circumstances change, it's just an unacceptable business risk to take. Now, now in a one-off situation, maybe, and you say, okay, worst case scenario, I'm going to eat this. But if you, if this is like, if you do this 600 times in New York, you're going to get smoked. You're going to get, you're going to get smoked. So, um, I don't really think you can be, even with all the legal things we just discussed, it's still, you're still talking about years. You're not talking about months. No. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's where in our market, when someone gets information from somebody and they realize that it doesn't work as well in our area, hopefully they listen to this show because that's, this is the reality of it. It's we're saying it's possible. We're not blocking the, the possibility, but we're just being honest about the reality. Cause we've obviously been around for a while. We've tried this and I've done it a few times. Well, mo- the stuff I've done has not been in New York with the seller financing, but I'll give you, I'll actually, I'll paint the picture differently now. So here's, I did a seller finance deal in California. I went to an escrow company. We signed a bullshit contract, even though it was, I mean, I say bullshit contract because in New York, it's like, you know, 95 pages. We signed this contract in the contract. It's like price, whatever terms, there was no interest. I paid the guy, no interest, principal only payments for five years and took it to an escrow company. They did the whole deal. I own the property. I sold it. It was very straightforward. It was there was other challenges with the deal, but anyway, I ended up selling it, paid the guy off. And the it, it, worst case scenario, if he were to foreclose, I could have paid him off. It wasn't a lot of money, but I could have paid him off anyway. But if he wanted to foreclose on me, non, non-judicial state, LLC loan, um, straightforward in the straightforward in the, the document we signed, but there was no attorney, none of that. It was very, very, very simple. But in New York, he probably would have never done that. Number one, number two, the just the laws are so fucked up in our area it's they're so fucked up like it just doesn't make to me it blows my mind but i can't i'm not a law creator so here's the positive side of it i want to we saved the best for last lease options those no, actually we, happen we, let's do the other side of that though oh I think yes, yes, yes 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 for you to buy a property with owner financing where the seller's decided to be the bank that's something you can jump on all day because again all this crazy risk we're talking about is now in their is, is now theirs. You don't have much risk, right? Theoretically, if you decide to walk away from the property, you can work something out with this guy in six years and you'll and you'll still be fine. So that's the other so that's the other side of that. If a seller is agreeing to take terms and Pace has a great story, is you know his F one fifty story where he talks about how to explain how he's gonna pay for a property over time. Um did you ever hear that story that he does? I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's great. It's great that if a seller is okay, like sometimes sellers don't, are afraid of capital gains tax. Sometimes they really want, maybe it's an investment property and they just want to keep getting cash flow from it. That is something you could do all day in New York. And I, I would recommend, you know, I know people that, that push that. I, we don't put, I don't push it much. I don't know. I don't think you do either, but like no. it's something where if a guy has a number in mind and you'll ask me, will he take terms? I, I think that's fine. 
do that all day in New York if the cash flow numbers work out. My issues have been, and we'll talk about with lease options too, is that the numbers are hard harder to work out when the when the property values are four, five, six, seven, eight hundred thousand dollars because the debt service is high and it doesn't always keep pace with what you can get as rental income, right? The idea of you buying a property on terms is that you're gonna pay out X each month and you can find a tenant who's gonna pay you significantly more than X each month. And sometimes with taxes being a thousand dollars a month and the debt service being a couple thousand dollars a month, if you're talking about significant uh, numbers, it doesn't always work out. So, but, yeah. but but if the seller wants to be the bank, then and the numbers work out, it could work all day. And then, we're, and then we can talk about lease options. Lease options are, well, you, you were just gonna bring up lease options. I don't wanna interrupt you. You talk about lease options. So that's another thing. So I, I wanna make one more point to what you said about doing seller finance on the other, the other, on the other end of the deal. I almost did this on an apartment building. I was this close. But what ended up happening was the attorney, once again, surprise, surprise, representing his client, right? Logical. We got the thing to the attorney's office, at least. And he's like, well, you're taking a huge risk. If this guy doesn't pay, he's got to put a fucking monster down payment down. And then I'm like, well, I'm not putting fucking 80 grand down on this thing. Fuck that. Because right. <laughs> it makes sense. Because if you have $80,000 into a deal, you're less likely to not pay versus having $10,000 into a deal. So that's the only real logical obstacle that does happen. However, you can do that. And you're like, it's if you can agree and the attorney can agree to a reasonable down payment, you can absolutely do those deals, especially when they're free and clear, because that's straightforward. That's very straightforward. There's no do on sale clause. There's no fucking wraparound mortgage, which is another shit show. Let's cover that real quick, just because that's, I don't want to like leave people hanging. Sure. What's a wraparound mortgage? Just, I'll, I'll, I know what it is, but I want you to answer. No, you. Uh, so I, it's it's a situation where you're you're. So there's there's a couple of different kinds of wraps, but in general, it's the seller has you, you're. Okay, so it's there's there's two financings. The second mortgage is a wrap around the first one, where there's usually a higher amount of a yes. monthly payment that pays for the first mortgage, and it can go different ways. It can go, you know. You can where the seller's the bank or you're the bank, and that, that's the that's the kind of thing. So, it, but it's complicated, right? Because very complicated. Because the second loan being made, well, sometimes you're 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 selling the property with a wrap to a to, to a tenant buyer or to a new buyer uh, who's taking it on terms has to make you have to make sure each month that there's enough to cover the first mortgage. So it gets it can get complicated. Yeah, you get the thing with the wraps. I've seen people do this in Texas all the time is like, let's say I buy a property from you, and you have a mortgage still on your property. And let's say that mortgage is for 100. I'm buying it off you for 150. The 150 purchase price will be, be a new more let's say the mortgage is for 130 because I put 20 grand down. And then that 130 note gets wrapped around your $100,000 note. And as the lender, you're going to make a spread between what you owe the bank and what I owe you. And then I'm going to make a spread between what the new buyer is paying me and what I owe you. So in New York, that's very hard because once again, attorneys and title companies do not want to leave existing mortgages in place because even if the seller gets a good down payment for me and I don't fucking pay because the tenant doesn't pay, by the way, I would pay anyway, but that's just right. the way I am. But, but you know, the, you're just creating chaos for the, the, the person down the chain. You're creating potential, like from the seller's perspective, there's, there's a lot of potential liability, right? He's got to believe a lot of liability. that you're going to make the payments. And an attorney is generally never going to believe anyone and he's not going to allow his client to take that kind of risk in New York. Uh, in other states, there's no attorney involved. You're telling the guy you're going to pay the mortgage. The guy can't pay his own mortgage. He's like, this is solving my problem. I'm good. Um, 
but it takes us to lease options, which is very yes. interesting. And I think that I think of the, all the different creative measures, that's something that the most easily can work in. New they York. work. I've seen them work in New York. I've never done one successfully, but I know people who do that like somewhat consistently in our area. So, what is a lease option, Michael? Once again, so a lease option is where um, it can it can be either from the where you're buying a property under a lease option or you're doing lease option to a tenant buyer. So sandwich. Yeah. The sun's coming out here. So let me get into the straight. Um, so the typical lease option when you're trying to acquire a property means that you are going to, you are going to tell the seller, Hey, I'm going to lease this property with an option to buy. I'm going to pay you X a month. And my payment to buy the property is Y. And the, the point is that the, the Sellers looking at is I'm getting this I'm getting this money every month, and I know that the guy can pay me this dollar amount, so it makes sense to me, right? Usually it's a situation where it's free and clear, and where the numbers make sense, where that the seller is happy to get may take his payments over time, like we said the Ford, the Pace Morbys F Ford F one fifty story, and then what you're doing is you're saying, well, I'm going to get a let's take the numbers, I'm going to pay three thousand a month for this property or twenty five hundred a month for this property, and I'm going to buy it for. $400,000 and then I'm going to find a tenant who's going to pay me $4,000 a month for the property and who's going to buy it for me for 450 at some point. So I have cash flow every month and then eventually hopefully this guy performs and then I make my $50,000 spread at that point too. Um, so that's like that's a sandwich lease option where you're in the middle making a spread on the monthly on the monthly difference between what the tenant buyer is paying you and what you're paying to the seller. Yeah. And here's the big benefit to that. If you're doing a sandwich lease option is if you're renting the property from an owner for three grand a month, the owner pays for all the other operating expenses. All you owe the owner is $3,000. So you don't have to worry about paying the taxes, the insurance, the maintenance, all that, well, the maintenance, but you know, you get the point, the utilities, um, because that goes on to the other end. So, so you're actually, you can actually make about a thousand bucks a month because you don't have the taxes. You, you just got to worry about that gross spread because that's really going to be the net spread at right. the end of the day. And, and the better that's part is on, on the other end, the tenant buyer, you can make them responsible for everything. You're like, don't call me for maintenance issues. It's your house. You're going to yep. buy it eventually. Don't call me if anything breaks. Like sometimes you're going to have to, well, anything over 10,000, you have to deal with it. But in general, the tenant buyer feels like they're in this property. And they'll cover the maintenance issues. They'll cover other issues. So, so it, it, in theory, it's a, it's it's an, and the reason why it's easier for that to work in New York is a, the attorneys may or may not get involved in it because it's not it's a weird kind of process where the guy may go, okay, I'm fine with it. You're going to pay me. Or if it, if a if a attorney does get involved, they may say, no problem. This guy is now responsible to make you the payments for the property. So, you know, he you know, it's no different than if you're renting a property to anybody else. That kind of thing. And they're just happy. Yeah, to be that's. And there just happens to be this rider, and I've done. By the way, I've done a. Uh, I did a lease a lease option on one of my first properties. I had a lot of problems. I couldn't find the buyer for it, and I found uh, a tenant to come into it. It was multifamily, but it was sort of an illegal multi multifamily, and they had an option to buy, and they and they bought it, and they were thrilled to make it work. They had to make they had to fix their credit. It took a year, and uh, we we made we made money. So I actually done one. Now that I think about it, I did a lease option. My one of my first deals. So the, the, the other way you can make money on a lease option, besides the two things you said, is you can do this thing called the down payment arbitrage. So let's say uh, the owner wants 10 grand down and you give them 10 grand down to secure the lease option. It's like your security deposit, basically. Basically, what it is it's a, it's It's like the right to buy the price, like the option payment. It's like the right to be able to buy the property for whatever price you figured out. Right. Let's say you give the owner 10 
and then you turn around and in order to have the tenant buy or in order to have the tenant lease it from you, you charge that tenant 30 grand down. Now you have a $20,000 profit and that can be used in the event that the tenant okay. doesn't do something. You can then that's go sort through of your the cushion process. That's your cushion if there's a problem and it's, or, or it could be profit now. So on a, on a, on a really well-structured sandwich situation, you can make money right when you, when you find the tenant buyer, you can make money every single month and you can make money when they, hopefully when they perform like that, that's another thing. Like there's two possibilities on when you're in, in a situation where you would find a tenant buyer, that person can actually buy the property. And hopefully there's a good spread between what you're selling it to them and, and what you owe the, and what you promised to pay the owner, or that person can say, I'm out of here. I, I got to be gone. But either way you make some money because if they put a decent down payment down, that, that, that not down payment, really it's, it's an option fee that's non-refundable. So you get, if the guy walks away, you can just do it again to somebody else. So, it's a good system, but it, again, the numbers have to work. And a lot of the situations in New York where the dollar amounts are very high and the debt service is high and the taxes are high, it's hard to make it work. I had a deal that was a perfect candidate for it, but it was an area where the, the costs were like $3,000 a month. The taxes were very high and I couldn't, I couldn't lease it for much more than $3,000 a month. So it just didn't work then. Didn't make sense. And the big benefit to the lease option is it, it it prevents all of the stuff we talked about in the last 30 minutes is you don't have to worry about a foreclosure. If the, if the tenant, because the tenant is not on title, right? So the tenant, if you have to just do a regular eviction, you have to just do a regular eviction and you'll win right, every so it's, time. It's yeah. where you are. It's three, four months. So it's not, that's not, that's to me, that's an acceptable risk. Uh, it's an acceptable amount of time that, that, that amount of risk makes sense. Yeah. Have you seen, have you, I mean, I don't know, I've not ran into this, but have you seen where like, if you do this and you, the, the, cause it's a consumer protection, right? Like, so if let's say a judge sees that you did a lease option and now the tenant has like skin in the game, could you see that being a problem? Or do you think by the law, like it doesn't matter? No, because you have to, your legal document is this is a non-refundable option fee. If you, if you end up buying the property from me, I'll use it as your down payment. But if you, if you don't, if you choose, remember it's, it's an option. He, he, he has the right to walk away from it at any time. But if you, if your documents are right, that it's a non-refundable option fee, he can choose not to buy the property. You can't force him to buy the property. So if it's non-refundable option fee, he's paid you that money. That money's not coming back to him. And nobody took advantage of him. Like if he wanted to buy the There's property. There's a voluntary you're transaction. To, you're open to him buying the property today. And then you'll you, sometimes, not all the time, usually you can use that option fee as, as a credit. So if you buy the property for $500,000, then he gave you $25,000. The price was only... 475 that was available to him if he chooses to move to louisiana then it's his choice 100 so i'm going to tell two lease option stories one of them uh i was involved in the other one was uh was uh someone else so so long story short hershey our good friend from monroe yeah. he uh bought a wholesale deal from devon our other good friend and uh it was a it was a really cheap property in a great area and i found out about this and i'm like how on earth did you get that property like how i'm like what what went down to get you this property so cheap so he buys this property from uh devin the wholesaler and he closed on the property and he was he knew there was a tenant in place and they got into not devin and hershey but hershey got into a scenario where he's fine now but the tenant had a lease option with the owner and there was this little bit of a scruffle because like it it, it wasn't like the, the owner didn't tell him and then there was this whole thing. So that got a little dicey. He ended up working it right. out. Well, the, the, the language in there has to be clear. Like you, you cannot be, if you're going to sell a property with a lease option on it, you got to make sure there's a language that gives him right of first refusal. That whole thing. Mm -hmm. You have to be careful. Like, like you, it has to say, I have the right to sell the property and, and all the terms will stay in place. So I can't kick you out, 
but the guy I sell it to has the same, you know, has the same thing. So it, exactly. it's not clear, if it's not clear, then when you sell a property that's got a lease option in effect, you, there is a risk that the guy can say, well, you're supposed to sell it to me, not to somebody it else. It can get a little spicy. So I just bought a condo in California where the, the I didn't know this until the end. I was going to take it with the tenant. And then I told the owner, I'm like, listen, can you just get the tenant out? And like, I'll just, I'll close like literally a week later. And he agreed to that. I found out that that tenant had a lease option and that seller who I met with, he had like $23,000 from the seller as a, or no, he was collecting payments every month and the payments that he was getting, he was getting an additional payment and that was going, going towards this lease option towards, thing. Right. That would, would be added to a down payment. if the Exactly. He, he gave the tenant, this guy's a good guy. He gave the tenant all their money back because he knew he was about to get cashed out by me. So that was another scenario where like, let's say I bought that. I didn't know that. And I had to deal with this tenant and there was some crazy clause in there. I could have been jammed up for a while, especially in California. That's fucking because the, the, the documents we're talking about don't get recorded, right? No, often, they don't. They're, they're basically like a, a landlord tenant document. So you got to be careful with these things because if those things are in place, like you said, that guy can sue you for that money or you can get, come you can back. Get, and you can get in a jam sandwich for sure. So hopefully everyone got some value today. I know we, we, we talked about some pretty advanced stuff. I mean, to, to us, it's like second nature, but to new people, it might go over your head a little bit. I recommend you listen to the show again. And uh, the more you listen to it, the better you'll understand it. Um, so the bottom line to sum it up is yes, you can do creative financing in New York and, but it is going to be a lot different than the other 49 States, even New Jersey and Connecticut, New Jersey is pretty similar, but Connecticut is, you can a lot more leeway over there, but, um, you got to know what you're getting into. You got to know the facts. You can't go on hopium. And, uh, when, when you know the reality, it's going to be a lot better to make a uh, better business decision. So hopefully people got value today. If you did, please share the show, please, uh, review it on the, on the, on the platforms, iTunes, Spotify. And uh, we'll see everybody on the next episode. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.